You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, so we're going to head back to the Midwest. We just stepped away from the southeast with Mike Chamberlain. Now we're going to Arkansas, and we're going to cover kind of a, a diversity of things. Go figure. We're one sentence in, and we're using diversity again. But we're going to cover a long list of things with another guest from Absolutely. Arkansas. The I'll let him state. The, the natural, natural state, the state that I do not enjoy driving through because no road is straight in it's Arkansas. No <laughs> road is straight at all. Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is Roger Mangum. I'm the deputy director for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. That's awesome. Yeah. So, how long have you been there? You know, I'm fairly new to the agency. I've been there only a couple of months. Okay. But I worked in Arkansas for a very long time. I was uh, the director of conservation programs. And sort of just a knuckle-dragon fire guy for 10 years in the state of Arkansas. So through that, I got to work with all of our partner partner agencies, Game and Fish Commission, the Natural Heritage Commission, DU, National Wild Turkey Federation, all of the groups. And one of the things I wanted to point out, and this is a good opportunity to do it on your podcast, is one of the things that makes Arkansas special that I don't think people realize, other than all the crooked roads, (laughs) is it is a very partner-driven state. It's a place where conservation partners and natural resource partners really play well in the same Mm -hmm. sandbox together that's not the case in all states and it's something that's really special about our state so when i step back and i think about what my job is at game and fish commission i really see it in two ways number one i see that i want to make sure 
tip of the spear. The troops on the ground have the funding, the political space, and the staffing to get the habitat work done. That's all I think about every day. Um, and then second, that the work is reflecting well on those partners and those partnerships. Because again, we're a small state, we don't have a lot of funding, so we've all got to pile our work together and agree upon our strategies to impact the landscape and deal with our habitat issues across broad ecoregions. And Arkansas is a very Ooh. diverse state. We've it is. got a lot of a lot of transition through the state. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. You go from east to west and it changes drastically. Absolutely, Which yeah. makes it cool, quite difficult to manage. Sure. But you have a, a lot of resources that you can uh, encourage people to interact with, manage, and it brings in waterfowl, fishing, all sorts of other hunting opportunities. So Absolutely. it's a really incredible state. Yeah, it really Bears, elk. Yeah, bears. Yep. It's got it all. That's yeah, right. It really does. Yeah. Probably overlooked, too, from a lot of people out of, out of state looking into it. But um, it's a really unique state for sure. Yeah, I agree. So originally I'm from Texas. I went to wildlife school at Stephen F. Austin. I got my master's at Texas A&M Commerce. And I got to Arkansas kind of on accident. I actually flew there on the wings of the ivory bill woodpecker. I don't know if anyone oh, remembers oh, that yeah. story. Um, and I was brought there because my background was in waterfowl and building and designing wetlands. And so I was there to assist private landowners who wanted to convert flood-prone row crop into sure. to wetlands and plant trees. And NRCS and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had significant funding under the potential reestablishment of Daverbill Woodpecker, which fell apart ultimately. But still, we were able to do almost 20,000 acres of uh, WRP. It's changed mm -hmm. now, but WRP working with a lot of landowners there. So that was really fun. So that's, that's how I got to Arkansas originally. That was in 2006 when I arrived. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember all over the news. They saw, I think it was, I just remember they saw, somebody saw the ivory bill woodpecker yeah. and they thought it was, yeah, that was a pretty cool story. So people always ask me, was the bird there? And I never answer. I just, I just divert. But I will say, <laughs> you know, the big woods of Arkansas, which is a very large wetland complex, um, you know, it includes the Cache River, the White River, Bio de Vue, all the way down to where it combines in the Arkansas. I mean, it's a huge patch of woods. It's almost, I want to say it's like 9 million acres of bottomland hardwood forest. Wow. Yeah. Go try and get a picture of anything in there. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard. I mean, it's an impenetrable jungle. It's really neat. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the places I love. And it's got the prairies, too. If we got, yeah. Got, got the about Grand prairies. Prairie there. Grand yeah. Prairie. Go down into the Blackland Prairies mm -hmm. as they transition down into Texas. Yeah. It's cool. Really oh cool. man! So you said something about fire. Yeah, you have a lot of fire experience. Yep. What What does that look like for you in your in your career and history? Well, fire's interesting. I, I got into the fire game. I first got red carded in 1996 when I was a research assistant working for the wildlife department at Stephen F. Austin, um, and I worked under a guy who's fairly fairly well known named Dr. Montague Whiting. He does his expertise is woodcock. Um, and quail and turkey. And so, again, you know, all three of those species are fire-dependent species. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing fire with, with, uh, with that crew burning research areas, and it really expanded. And it's actually funny because when I got out of college, um, I interviewed uh, for one of these roving fire crews for the Nature Conservancy, which are all over the world. It's really a unique template. It's basically um, um, a rolling fire module where you'll have four firefighters and a Type 6 engine, and you go anywhere, you do anything, you burn a Nature Conservancy lands, you burn on private lands, you burn with partners, just every day, you never know. 
Uh, and so what was cool about that is when I showed up for my interview, and again, I was as green as green gets, the one thing they said, do you have any experience from fire? I'm like, yeah, I know a lot about fire. I've burned thousands of acres and, you know, already like, oh, that sounds good. And they took a piece of paper and they turned it over and they said, draw me a prescribed burn. How does it work? And so, you know, I drew the wind direction, put a compass, and then basically drew a fire unit. And, you know, this is a backfire, this is flanking fire, this is a head fire. This is the rates of spread you want, this interior ignition. And right there, they're like, you're hired. And so for me, then I basically started running burn crews and just being a burn crew mm-hmm. member for six years, which was really fun because at that time I got to, I got to burn. Some days I'd be burning uh, in Fort Davis Mountains of Texas, burning down a big bin. The next oh, day wow. we might drive and burn around Austin. The next day we might be burning East Texas. We covered the whole state. That was really fun. We also did a lot of fire. We did some wildfire sure. stuff in New Mexico and Texas then. So it was a good time. So. I got to learn the tool. I consider a fire Absolutely. tool. Yep. It's the biggest tool in our toolbox. Not yep. only the most effective, but also the cheapest. And so if you think of a state like Arkansas, you know, all of our ecosystems depend on fire other than the bottom line hardwood forest. Some argue that there's a 500 year fire rotation through those systems. I don't know. It depends on what research you read, but you'd mentioned prairies earlier. Mm-hmm. Again, those are, you know, fire dynamic systems. If you could go back to the Holocene, 50, you know, 15,000 years from now, lots of Arkansas was prairie and the number one thing that kept the open was fire. Fire. Yeah, fire. Yep. You know, we had bison, we had pronghorn, we had elk. Um, and as we transitioned and we got more and more trees on the landscape to where we are now, which is we've got way too many trees in the landscape across all our forest types. Um, so for me, Using that tool, you've got to use it aggressively, mm-hmm. but you also need to do the thinning and you've got to do the woody control you need before you can get fire back into the landscape. Absolutely. It's expensive, it makes people nervous, um, but our wildlife absolutely have to have it. And, I've, and I've, another thing I've been lucky to do is I've been able to, to run um, prescribed fire workshops all over the world. Um, I did them in Africa, I did them in Northern Mexico. And teaching the systems sort of the, the how to do fire, it's not a complex thing. And I really love where I can go spend time with private landowners and help enable them and have them understand how the tool is used. Because if you understand the, some parameters and you can keep it in the box, it's a pretty easy tool to apply Definitely. to the landscape. Yeah. You said something there, and I think a lot of people, honestly, um, they say the word forest. Right. And you said there's differences in forest obviously we talk about them a lot woodland savannas um talk about that kind of in arkansas and how fire has been utilized in those how you guys are utilizing that to maintain restore those areas types of forest back in arkansas that's great so i'll cover a couple of forest types that are particularly important in arkansas for turkey and quail because again let's focus on those fire species um, oak woodland. So if you think about mo- a large portion of Arkansas was oak woodland forest. So structurally, what does that look like? It's a savanna. So, you know, if you think about um, one acre, one acre is basically a football field with the end zones. It's for 43,560 43, square feet is how big uh, an acre is. And so, you know, it really structurally, what you're looking for on that is a lot of foresters talk about basal area densities, mm-hmm. which is a good way to think about forests. But I just, whenever I describe it to landowners who sometimes really don't have a good image in their mind of what an acre looks like, it's like take a football field and put about six trees, large trees across that football field, and underneath basically you have grass. 
not a true grassland, it's more of a savanna. And savannas also can transition into savanna. So originally, those transition zones were critical for southern, for southern species. And eventually they transitioned into lower gradient that are earlier aged systems. So you imagine cases, in most cases even Arkansas was under, under uh, an ancient ocean not that long ago. Right, right. So under those um, younger landscapes, um, that's where you had a lot of sand and you get a lot of the coastal plain. You know, it's the coastal plain of the old historic Gulf of Mexico. And so there you've got pine forests again. People think, oh, well, there's this timber curtain. It's the same structure. It's open savanna. It just happens to be a pine tree. Sure. So when I think of Arkansas and I think of species like turkey and quail, I think of those three different structural forest types. You have, you know, up up in the Ozarks, you've got on sort of south and west facing slopes, you've got pine savanna, shortleaf pine. Then you're transitioning sort of into your bottoms where you have oak pine savanna. Again, it's the species mixture of oak, hickory, and pine. Then even lower and on north and east facing slopes, it's basically just hickory and oak. But again, it's a savanna. And you transition, that falls its way all the way down into Texas. And as rainfall patterns change down in those areas as you move into Texas, as you have less and less rainfall, you have more and more grass, which is that, you know, that that fuel we need, fuel model one, which you need to carry those fires, that eventually you get so much kill on trees that it turns into a real grassland. And you know, that's really that transition zone through Arkansas. So it's interesting. When I when I think about forests, I think about what I've done in my career and what we need most people to do in the conservation realm, be it with the Game and Fish Commission or um, with um, uh, Quail Unlimited or, or Pheasants Forever or National Wild Turkey Federation. We need to cut a lot of trees down and burn. Yeah. And people are like, aren't yeah. you? Did you listen to our yeah. podcast last night? When you're <laughs> people are like, don't you hug trees for a living? I'm like, no, I spent my whole career cutting trees cutting down and, and then burning, burning them. Yes. Like, that's what we did. Like, I can't get enough trees off the landscape, which is kind of we, ironic. I love enough. trees. Yeah. But I don't I, love trees stacked love in so tight. They're, they're in the wrong place. In the right role. Yeah, yeah in yeah. the right role. That's right. Yeah. It's uh, We've joked about it. It's like uh, the whole conservation mindset of. Go plant a tree. Go plant trees. Go save the world. It's like, please, we need to cut them. That's Stop right. planting and That's start right. cutting. That's right. Yeah. And burn. Yep. Because yeah. that that natural and those ecosystems you just talked about and explained, you can't get much better than that. And that's the way, from a climate elevation aspect, all of that. That's how Arkansas was. Yeah. And, that, and that's the, that's the best that it can be in its natural state. That's right. No pun intended there. That's right. So <laughs> in Arkansas, you've been there a good bit now. What is yeah. your favorite, just your overall favorite ecosystem or region of Arkansas? Because it is so diverse. Wow, that is a hard question to Put answer. Put him in a box right yeah. there. Yeah. He wasn't expecting that question. <laughs> well, to be frank... I love the entire state. I fell, fell in love with the state when I was young. I, I duck hunted there a little bit. But when I moved there in 2006, and we talked about this earlier, is you've, just, you've got the ability to head east and you know shoot ducks in some of the best duck habitat in the world. Um, and then you can also be up in the mountains in the same day, which is, yeah. is very unique. But if you're going to require me to, to, to make a choice here, man, I'm a duck slayer. So mm. I want to be out in the big woods of Arkansas. I really like the Cache River. It's got a unique history. Um, it's got a, a fairly complex social history within the Cache River Basin. And it's a place where I did a lot, lot of work and cut my teeth and did a lot of 
hard, difficult work with landowners, which I'm really proud of. So it calls me for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. What is something that the state of Arkansas is, is, let's say, trying to do from an educational standpoint and working with landowners? Like, what what is that the biggest kind of push? It could as easily be it's just maintaining and getting restoring the land back to what it was and cutting trees. How, how does that go back into the wild turkey, uh, quail, the, those fire defense species? So, yeah, you kind of nailed it. Our work on private lands, we've got private lands biologists, and we've got some great, again, this is the partnership genre or, or, or aspect of Arkansas that I love, is with funding from Quail Unlimited and National Wild Turkey and others, you know, we've been able to get additional money, also through the Natural Resources Conservation Service, NRCS, through Farm Bill Dollars, to try and see what we can do to bring bobwhite quail back into these habitats where they originally were. It's a very difficult thing to do. It speaks a lot to of too many trees on landscape and a lot of fire. So we're working with, with private landowners that are around core protected areas. So these could be state lands, federal mm-hmm. lands, um, and trying to build those landscapes around them primarily through fire of trying to enable landowners to burn their land, understand how to do it, supplying them staffing to do it, um, at all levels, I'll still go out and burn with people, you know. So we, we are very sort of, you know, hands-on in the way that we manage our lands in Arkansas, which is great. A lot of states aren't like that. Sure. A lot of states just want to run landowner workshops and then walk away. But our experience says that if you can really go hand-in-hand with a landowner down the road and get some fire on the landscape and get those fuels reduced to where it's easy to burn, then that will carry on. And another thing that's important to me specifically, and this is might be a little bit out of this podcast, but I'm going to mention it here. And you might see my kids, they're running around with me, but <laughs> I, I think the fire culture starts very young. I started, my daughter, Isabel, she started burning with me when she was seven. Nice. Um, and I mean, she's, if you took her out of landscape and ran her with any burn crew today, she's 13, they'd be like, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think in having our kids learn to hunt and fish is important. Having them have an appreciation for natural resources is important. Having them understand about the importance of rural economies to the South is important. Mm -hmm. And one thing I would add to that, which I think is overlooked, is kids need to understand how to manage land. Bingo. And you can't read about it in a book. You can't go to college. You have to do it. It's hands-on. Yeah, it's hands-on. And if you can take kids and people who are interested in the field of natural resources, wildlife specifically, and they can go – you know, they don't have to get, don't have to go to college. Some of the best people I've worked with never even went to school. But sure. to have the ability to work on those structural systems, the four systems, and think about it from I'm not just out there counting plants and species. I'm looking for a landscape scale structure. You know, that's boots on the ground. That's diesel fuel, drip torch fuel. That that's getting after it. So it's rolling up sleeves. That's it. I think people it. need to take their kids hunting and fishing and paddling and mountain biking. Yes, but you also need to have your kids out doing. Real work in the woods, marking timber, burning, planting food and plots. Not, not being afraid to whether it's whether it's I don't even say make a mistake because a mistake for us is it's a disturbance, yeah, right? right? There's there's a plant community that will come back. That's right. But then look at that and study it and observe it. What then utilizes that plant community? Yeah. It, it's I, tough to make that mistake, but it's like you have to see these changes to really believe it and learn from them. And I some of those things. Oh, sorry. Uh, some of those things too are even more exciting than sitting in a deer blind yeah a a kid may enjoy 
planting or seeing disturbance or a prescribed fire. I mean, right. w- our dad grew up. He was a pyro, and yeah. he passed that gene on to us. I can tell. And so it was like, <laughs> let's burn. And, I, shoot, so looking back, some of the places we burned on the family farm when we were kids, it was totally red flag days, and we scorched trees. Yeah. But, man, some of the stuff that grew back was awesome. I think that gets into the we have to do a better job of educating while they're young this fire timbering mindset good. conservation we've done, mindset. A, good. we've done a poor job in recent times to where we think cutting trees is bad burning is bad yep. fire is bad and yep. we have to start them younger and get a better job of educating them in that i yeah. agree yeah. yeah smoky the bear was yeah. great in some sure. aspects but it scared the heck out of a lot of people yeah absolutely so yeah. yeah, no, that's that's awesome that Arkansas. You know, it, it doesn't matter where you go, but hunter numbers are declining. Therefore, yes. funding is declining. Therefore, we're all in trouble. Yeah. Um, so getting people thinking about other ways to get outdoors and be more in tune with what's going on and more engaged in how they can help. We all yeah. have a place, whether we own a little backyard garden. I don't, yeah, um, I don't care if it's twenty acres. I don't care if it's forty. I don't care if it's four thousand acres. Yeah. yeah. You have a role, you have a place, and when you do these things, the response, whether it is on 20 acres or 4,000 acres, there's still a response to see and observe and watch things change in the, the behavior and usage of those areas. Absolutely. No, I agree 100%. So, talking about the Arkansas Game and Fish, yeah. you guys have this big initiative with quail. Right. Is there any other things on the horizon, you know, that you guys are – talking about moving towards that's kind of like let's get this ship going in a more positive or let's let's get this ship going get a lot more landowners involved in and doing yes <laughs> i'll answer that as yes yeah but but yeah. <laughs> but but i want to i want to i actually want to redirect to another thing because this kind of falls into some of the divisions that i manage um is we spend a lot of time thinking about and this is not sexy thinking about infrastructure yeah and so a lot of people are like well what does that mean roads and all that well sort of but when i think of infrastructure i'm thinking of water control structures at biomeda yeah Yeah. you know i mean oh yeah this is a place where it's some of the best ducking in the world thousands and thousands of people come to this area to 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 hunt ducks it's a you know economic boom for those rural communities and for that area of arkansas it's iconic but if your water control structures are broke and all your timber's dying, you got nothing left. So not only is, can you not manage the water to get people out there to hunt, the trees are dying. The red oaks that we need, you know, which make the small acorns. I mean, people see these big acorns, like this big, you know. Um, Bigger's better, right? Yeah. Ducks <laughs> yeah. can't eat them. You yeah, know, yeah. they'll choke to For death. Sure. So they want yeah. little, you know, they want nettle oak. They want little red oak acorns. And so what we're seeing across a lot of our WMAs on, on public land um, both with game and, fish, game and fish land and federal lands on the refuges, is that because of the, the decl- because our infrastructure is old and archaic and damaged and we can't move water right and we're killing as many beavers and, and, and doing as much as we can, lots of timber's dying out there. So it makes us think of two things. It makes us think about, okay, can we postpone flooding for hunting later and later and later in the year to let those trees really dry out and then can we get the water off earlier so they have longer dry periods 
Because again, any well, not any tree, but 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 oak trees. You put them underwater for too long, they're just going to flame out and die. And we're seeing yeah. that. We're actually seeing that. So we're out on the ground. We're using a data data dictionary handheld GPS. We go out. And we're actually inventorying areas that are dying, and then trying to think of how that links to our infrastructure. So ah. we spend a lot of time thinking about that. Infrastructure is also dams for people to go fishing. We've got yeah. a lot of dams that are old and need to be repaired. Not only are, is that thinking about fishing opportunity, but also safety downstream. A lot of our watersheds, particularly in northwest Arkansas, have been heavily altered by development. So it's sort of the trifecta. You've got a changing climate. You've got more rain than you ever had. You have a landscape that's changing that is putting more water into these rivers, and they're just cutting themselves apart and going right into our, dam right into our lakes, filling them up with sediment, and then cutting our dams out. So we, as Game and Fish, we're responsible for a lot of those dams. We own them. And so we got to make sure that they're safe. Yeah. Um, and we can repair them. And all of the work from the water control structures um, to the dams is very, very expensive. And like we, revenue's going down. Hunters are going do down. You know, we're yeah. lucky Arkansas has uh, the one-eighth of one-cent conservation tax that was passed um, by the people of Arkansas in 1997. Um, so that we're blessed to have that. But the reality is, is that's not enough. Mm. We need more dollars to work on infrastructure. These are big ticket items. You know, an infrastructure project that front runs through my division operations, um, a million's nothing. I mean, some of these things sure. are multi-million dollar, multi-year, $20 million, $30 million projects. And they take five to 10 years to do, so. Wow. That's I think about that. It's not yeah. sexy, but I mean, you gotta think about that <laughs> Somebody's stuff. Gotta yeah. Somebody's gotta think about it. Somebody's gotta think about it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. It, you know, we hear that, that phrase, hunting is conservation. We, we've talked about it on the podcast before, it's like, yeah, but there's there's way more to conservation than just going and buying a tag. Yeah, there, There's implementation of the techniques that we're talking about. There's volunteer hours working with the state. There's all sorts of things. But buying a tag isn't enough. Yeah. We have to continue to do more and find ways to involve ourselves, our families in conservation. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen to get done. Can I ask the group along those same lines? So... What ideas, you know, your podcast and, and your company, you touch a lot of people in many states. And a lot of state agencies are thinking about this. Mm -hmm. of how are we going to generate revenue? Um, you know, you think about the other constituent groups that use state lands in Arkansas. I mean, people that mountain bike, people that paddle, people that um, uh, go hang gliding, people that go geocaching, birding, people that hike, whatever. birding, whatever. And I do think a lot of that group um, is willing to pay for that, but it's not necessarily captured in a state like Arkansas. Sure. What have you seen in other states of initiatives where those constituent groups are paying their paying their way? Oh man, that's a great question. And I, I oh, honestly yeah. none I come to, come to mind. I think that's a common trend yeah. from what you're you're stating there. That you know the hunting, the the tax situation there, the fishing, all that bringing in revenue, but all these other groups what are, they, are benefiting. You know, I, I and think not of like the table going to these other states, it's like, well, I'm going to hunt public ground, so I need to get this habitat stamp, or I need to get this state stamp. But what other group outside of hunters or fishermen, you got to get a trout stamp, you're right. going to, yeah. what other groups of outdoor recreational people pay some sort of stamp to go and recreate? Do, I, I don't know of any. Like, I, I don't know. If of I was going to go mountain exist. bike somewhere, I don't need any you kind of. You just go. I just go. Yeah. Just Nothing go. specialized. I mean, that gummit. Yeah. I know of I'm, people like birders that buy 
the duck stamp. Yeah, that's you know, right. That's one sure, that yeah. happens, sure. I think, is people yeah. buy the yeah. duck stamp to support them. But, yeah. I mean, as far as a specific for just, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think not, not to, like, call them out, but, but it is one of those things that's like, hey, we all benefit from it. Yeah. So, but, but we can all pitch in, though, too. Everyone's use it for whatever you would like with yeah. under legal means. But yeah. um, it doesn't have to fall exactly on the shoulders of, of hunters or fishermen yeah. to make sure that land's available are for there everybody. Any, are there yeah. any numbers in the state of Arkansas that show the amount of hunters that use public ground versus burgers or versus any other? We don't have good numbers on that, even though we, we, we do have numbers they're a bit dated so i don't want to i don't want to put myself out there and and mangle those (laughs) but overall i will say the trends on public ground in arkansas are increasing i think that is a reflection of increases of lease rates on private ground yeah right um absolutely and even though you see a reduction in hunters by percentage across North America. Still, there's still a lot of us. It's just yeah. that we're getting the percentages are we're going down because we've got a lesser percent of the population's hunting. So yeah. that doesn't mean there's less people using using our places. Um, so that's good. Some other uh, information that we pay attention pay attention to and collect is what do the citizens of Arkansas think about outdoors? So we've done some polling on that and. Game and Fish Commission and Public Lands poll very high. And one of the things we're thinking about, uh, and I throw this to the group, the four of us here to, to really bat around is, one of the things that that polls very high across all states is water quality. And water quality is driven driven by land, right? Landscapes. So these watersheds manage clean water, but also having good habitat out there that, you know, Having good wildlife habitat is good for water quality that we have to drink. So making that connection is key there. So, I mean, can we figure out a way in a programmatic, systematic way for people who drink water to pay for natural resources? We kind of can. A lot of states have done that. And so we're just trying to think of anything out of the box. We mentioned these other constituent groups, water co-ops, water users paying for water. So those are the things we're trying to figure out how that might how that might work and go back into the habitat work in Arkansas. Those Absolutely. Type of that makes a lot of sense. I mean, what we see, and we've done presentations on it in the past to groups like Quail Forever um, and uh, Quality Deer Management, is there's a lot of interest out there from I don't care who you are, as a, as a hunter going to um, someone who just likes to be outside, you can talk to them about yeah. air quality. You can talk to them about soil quality. You can talk to them about um, water quality. From a deer hunter aspect, if you're working and managing land, you care about that. Yeah. There's common ground here. We don't Absolutely. have to be these divided we're not, groups. We're not a bloodthirsty deer on the tailgate yeah. guy. Tongue hanging out. We're whatever. not a tree-hugging water quality screen. We all have... A lot of the same interests. Absolutely. We just don't see each other that way. Well, I agree. I, th- I think the worst thing is that a lot of times you see that being thrown into a, it's a political thing. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, yeah. this is not political. <laughs> right. this you is, can't care about the environment. This is land ethic. And yeah. vote this way. But you see that thrown around so much of like, well, this is good for this. Well, but that's this side of the aisle. And it's like, that's right. not political. This is what's best for the environment and best for wildlife. That's right. Like, yeah. So... Not to take it a different direction, but how is the black bears in Arkansas? Black bear numbers are good. Um, we're, we're lucky. You know, our commission, we've got a fantastic commission. Um, and 
historically, they've spent a lot of money on black bear restoration in the state of Arkansas. We've got a great huntable population. They're expanding southward into the coastal plain. Um, so hopefully we'll be increasing the ability of, of folks to hunt bears there. But overall, I, I can't throw numbers at you, but it's very good. Yeah. And we've got um, some great bear biologists on staff who do a lot of good work. In fact, they're doing den surveys right now. So they're going out and getting collared females and um, uh, going You've and even got in on a little of that, right, Chad? I've yeah. done the bear survey. What'd you think? It was what, fun. what was the experience like? It was, it was really cool. I mean, to see the one that we went on, there was the sow had gotten up under a tree. Uh-huh. And, like, the, the picture that I shared of it, people were amazed that she had climbed up in that. Awesome. Because, like, her head is out the hole. And it fills the hole up. It's like, how does that thing get up into that? Yeah. But that was the one I went on. There was only one cub. Okay. But like, Jason, that we when we went with, I mean, they had he was telling us others and showed us pictures where they had three or four cubs at a time. I mean, it was a really cool experience for sure. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's great. I uh, I got in on a bear trapping when I worked for the Department of Conservation uh-huh. in Missouri. It was a little bit different experience. That was in the summer. I think, yeah, summer we had trapped, tried to trap the bear, and Mama was apparently not the first one to the trap, and we trapped a cub, a oh. 50-pound cub, and Mama stood out off the hill going nuts. And Nice. Yeah, but it was a really cool experience as well. That's so, awesome. Yeah, a little different than the den studies. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, one of the things, too, since we're on bears, I mean, again, you know, fire really helps bears. I mean, it just comes to habitat, comes to, you know, um, a structural issue of what they need, mast, what they need, the ability to find yes. mast easily. So bear is another species that benefits greatly from fire. I think a lot of people underestimate the herbaceous diet Absolutely. component that bears have yep. and and the soft mass as well, blackberries, poke bear, all these different things that, hey, those are fire species. That's right. From a plant and vegetation yep. standpoint. So it's really tough to argue that fire isn't necessary on the landscape. It sounds like the four of us should get some drip torches and get out. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> look be, out. Yeah. That'd be a little bit scary. Yeah. We'd see us on Fox News, baby. We're going yeah. right. to need to stop raining first. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, definitely it's, been true. A tough, oh, it's been a tough burn season so far this this year. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's numbers are down. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we'll see. We'll catch up. One other thing, too, on fire, and then I'll drop the fire thing, uh, is we as an agency, um, we've got a great fire manager named Randy Brents. And he's really trying to push us into more and more growing season fire, um, mm-hmm. which we're heading that direction, and we're doing it in a very purposeful way. Um, so that's something, too, that we want to be able to demonstrate on game and fish lands that you can safely do growing season fires. And you can get good kill, particularly on species that are troublesome, like sweet gum, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and use that as a way to inspire landowners and others to try and follow our lead there and push in the growing season. You know, it's it's harder to burn. Operationally, it's difficult because it's, it's hot. People fall out you throw up a lot just how it goes but you know there's other tools too that can help us with this of course we got helicopters but um you know some of the drones that are coming out the ability to deliver ping pong balls and landscapes using drones and have them fall on contour lines stuff it's really cool um and so i think that's the wave of the future maximizing the technology to limit the amount of interior ignition your people have to do Put in your perimeters and rock and roll. Um, I think that's great. So I think that's coming to the state of Arkansas. We want Arkansas to lead in that. Oh, really that's do. awesome. Yeah. I like the sounds yeah. of that. Yeah. Sounds awesome. It's good. Yeah. A lot, I mean, a lot of people are, are fearful of, of a growing season fire. They hear that and like, wait a second. Yeah. You put those two together, like, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. It's yeah. like the, the benefit from a landscape and, and plant community response is incredible for so many different species. Absolutely. It's got to have it. I think well, in my experience with it, too, when you have 
you have a lot of people in the fire community that are used to dormant season burning. Yes. They're used to what it yes. looks like when it's done. When you get done with a growing season burn, it doesn't look the same. Yeah. No. And it's they like look right. the same for a while. They look at it while. and and kind of look at it as they didn't accomplish the goals. Because a lot of times it's a dirtier burn. You don't burn no, everything. It's not, it's not the complete con- sure. burn over the whole landscape. It's It burns better in places and worse in places. And they see it and it's like, ooh, we didn't get anything done here. Yeah. But it it takes a little change come, come in, back in, six months. in mindset. Yeah, you're yeah. right, Chad. That mosaic on the landscape. You oh. think particularly like this argument that... You know, I fought a lot of my career. Again, I'm a big turkey hunter, but, you know, I've always fought that spring burning. You know, you're going to burn up pens. You're going to burn up nests, which, if you read the literature, is not true. Um, but then if you're moving to those to those seeds where you're missing those early, I mean, you may not have as much ground for poults to move into and feed, but I think growing season fires will really help with turkeys range-wise. Mm-hmm. I don't think grow, lack of growing season fires has anything to do with turkey numbers specifically. I can't point to that. But I think it would help turkeys greatly. Yeah, yeah, I really do. It's yeah. just another Maybe way to that's increase what diversity. We need to do. Yeah, that's right. Um, I forgot what he James Kennerer. Yeah, yeah. James he uh, he he said the uh, he was talking about the coffee shops and pool and oh, ignorance. Yeah. Maybe we just need yeah. to take that literature that you were talking about right. and just start passing it out in coffee shops. Yeah, <laughs> that would help probably. <laughs> it might. <laughs> We, we step may, on a lot of toes on this just podcast. By, yeah, just you pass out that information, yeah. they may use it to start growing season burns. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I should clarify, that was Land and Legacy, yeah. not Arkansas Game of Fish. Yeah, right. <laughs> Make that disclaimer. Yeah, that, that's no statement. And I, and I will say one thing, too, about the turkey community, and I'm going to take off my Game and Fish Commission hat and put on my turkey hunting hat because yeah. I love to chase turkeys. But, you know, even in my career, which, I mean, I'm becoming an old man. I'm pushing 25 years of dragging a drip torch and doing habitat work. In the turkey hunting community, I've seen it, particularly in the past 12 years, and I think a lot of this has to do with the Turkey Federation, uh, that's changing. People are really embracing fire more now than ever. Now, it doesn't mean we're doing more fire. It's still operationally hard to do, but it's, a lot it's of right the, here it between is. The ears. It's, 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 you've yeah. got this drumbeat of the fire's good, fire's good, and it's made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that we're uh, Pennsylvania is they're starting to have meetings, really starting to try to get. Fire Council started. Yeah, All right. That's yeah. great. So a lot of states, states that I, I didn't I, think would ever get fire. Yeah. I think a lot of that is from the education standpoint and the landowners coming to some state agency and saying, guys, we need this. Where's the push? Here's right. the push. Yeah. And then that, it's probably a, like a diesel engine. It's slow to start, but once it gets going, man, there's a lot of good that can come from it. So yeah. excited, one, that Arkansas has got someone at the helm that is understands yeah. fire, wants fire, and it's going to be utilizing that. That's I know in the spring, because yeah. we live in southern Missouri, so in the spring on a south wind, if wow. I smell smoke, I'll just raise my hand in there the air go. and give you guys a fist yeah. bump. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're lucky. Our, our commission is very focused on tip of the spear, getting the habitat work done. Yes. Um, and our leadership, Pat Fitz, who is our director, he's a fantastic man, um, and he thinks the same way. So that, that – that unifies this idea of it's about what's happening on the ground, what's happening outside, and they understand the big tools that we can wield, fire, others, water control structures, um, uh, lake management, water management um, for our fisheries, and that's what we think about every day, so it's cool. That's how you magnify awesome. your impact. That's awesome. Yeah. Sounds like you guys right. have some great stuff going on. We do. And continue we do. to move yeah. forward and get landowners on board. I'm excited to see... Ten years from now, just yeah. how much habitat you guys put on awesome. the ground. Yeah. Thanks for coming Great. on Thanks so for much. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And uh, 
continue the good work. Awesome. All right, I'm going to go find my kids. They're running around wild. They're probably lighting <laughs> something on fire. <laughs> They're giving fire demos. Yeah, yeah, they probably are. They probably are. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah.